Merry Christmas, everyone. We are almost there. I hope you got your Christmas shopping done. Uh, we sure haven't. <laughs> We're still working on it. Um, got a, lot, a few challenges hitting us right now, and so this podcast is a great release for me, especially when we are off the road, or when we're, yeah, when we're off the road, we're home, uh, to stay productive and to stay in the Word and stay studied and work some things out. And so uh, this is part two, by the way, of why am I still here? Sometimes we can ask that question, you know, what 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 is my purpose in life? Why why do I exist? And that's a you know, I think it's a, a tactic of the enemy to make us feel useless and worthless and to keep us from discovering our true identity. And so let me first say that we are putting together the Life on the Verge tour. We've got chaplains contacting us, and uh, we've got a number of prisons already down, and we're still making the phone calls and sending the emails and setting that tour up. And we do appreciate you considering Life on the Verge and your end-of-the-year giving, lifeontheverge.com. You can give there online and also the mailing instructions if you choose to send a check. Um, but we are totally uh, donor-dependent. Well, we're dependent on God to move on the hearts of people to help us go out there and reach men and women, you talk about people that don't know who they really are, that really, that, you know, we, it's hard enough to walk around on the outside world with the labels that life puts on us. But when you have been publicly humiliated and put through the ringer and found guilty of a crime, and it's hard to see beyond uh, the, the title criminal or the title uh, felon or inmate and so we go into prisons and we tell them, hey, you're not an inmate. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as an inmate, because there's nothing worse than the loss of purpose. I mean, really, um, you can be locked up, but if you have a sense of purpose for every day, um, wow, you can press on. You can press through the trials of life. And so sometimes we, on the outside, you know, and let me just say this about those on the inside, I... I, I I wish that I could describe to you, um, you know, the men and women that we meet. Some of them are horrible um, people that have done horrible things. Uh, but the vast majority, especially that come to our events, are trying to get back on the horse. They're trying to serve God. And the vast majority are in prison for, uh, you know, I wouldn't call them minor offenses. They're usually felonies. But they're they're not the, the evil axe murderers that you think. Many of us have done things that could have landed us in prison for a two, three, five-year stint. And that's who we find in prison a lot. And we want to encourage them. And, and we want to encourage the lifers. You know, we meet people that have been in prison for 30 years uh, to encourage them. They're not going to get out according to you know their sentence. And we want to encourage them, hey, use what you have where you are. You know, and and reach the younger generation that's coming in, and many of them do that. You know, that's the purpose they find, is to be a missionary on the grounds of the compound where they're at. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so we talked in the last episode about um, our aspirations. You know, aspiration is a strong desire, longing, or aim, ambition. You know, what is the underlying thing? It's the root of vision. You know, a vision to me anyway is a picture of a preferred future. I'm here and I want to get there. Well, aspiration asks the question, why? Why do you want to get from here to there? Why do you want to grow your business? Why do you want to grow your ministry? What's the underlying motive? And of course, it's to bring glory to God, but we dug a little deeper and try to, try to, 
you know, can we find one word or one phrase that really kind of defines this is what I, the mark I hope to leave, the thing that God's put on my heart to do. Uh, we said your aspiration is the purpose for your dream, the why. Um, it's, it's the goal, desire, ambition that moves you to action. Um, it's what you want to achieve, experience, or become. Um, so we're heading toward goal-setting season, and I think I shared in the previous episode that Susan and I kind of came to terms with the, the word mercy through some prayer and fasting, that that would be the driver with all that we do. And you know, God knew what he was doing because I, a lot of people don't understand that I was a cop for 10 years, that um, my brother was killed in a senseless homicide, and I have every reason to be jaded against people in prison. But if I stop and go, wait a minute, look at the mercy God has shown me. Uh, he gave me what I didn't deserve. He gave me forgiveness and purpose and hope. Then how can I withhold that from others? And so that became, uh, you know, the kind of the driver. And I want mercy to be the driver of all my dreams and all our visions and vocational exploits, uh, the deeper aspiration. But I also know I'm a flesh creature, so I don't, I don't always hit that mark. Because I have, I deal with selfish ambition and, you know, uh, complaining and whining. And, you know, uh, Ezekiel, uh, it says that he went and did what God told him to do, but he went with bitterness of spirit. I've, I've done that a few times, too. Like, I don't really even want to do this, Lord, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. And, man, thank God that I did because, you know, I walk away from those scenarios uh, just saying, look, I'm going to disregard these feelings and I'm going to press forward by faith. And my faith grows because of that. Uh, pastors know what I mean. Um, those that, uh, you know, you've been bitten by the sheep and everything in you says, why don't I just go get a secular job and get out of this stuff? These people don't appreciate what I do. And, and uh, you can get jaded. But somehow, even through some bitterness in your spirit, you say, I'm going to be faithful to the thing God called me to do because my aspiration is to reach people for Christ and to build disciples, make disciples, and fulfill the Great Commission. And then you find breakthrough, uh, and you, you find times of refreshing, and you repent. And so that's what we do. And when we stumble and we fall and we miss our mark, by faith we get up and go, I've confessed, I've repented, I believe I'm forgiven. Onward we go. And so uh, this year's tour, when we go out, we've decided to title it Incognito. Uh, that word means to avoid being recognized, to conceal one's true identity. So I was at the hospital the other day with just my phone. Susan's going through some testing. I'd ask you to pray. Uh, she's had some digestive issues that she had to have surgery for last year, and we are praying that this isn't going to be another surgery she's going to have to deal with. So pray for Susan because it could impact our timing on the road and all that. But uh, Nevertheless, I was sitting there and I was kind of doing a little study on this idea of incognito. We try to give our, our tours a, a theme, and uh, that word means to avoid being recognized, to conceal one's true identity. Now, that's not like a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who purposely acts. That's what the word means in the Greek. You act like one thing, but you're really another intentionally. You're trying to hide something um, for an evil purpose, for a wrong purpose, to give a, um, a false impression. Incognito simply means you're concealing your true identity. And Jesus did that for much of his earthly ministry. 
You know, he dodged questions about, are you the son of God? And, and told his disciples not to say anything about what they had seen or experienced. He was, he was holding back until the right time. Often missionaries work incognito. They'll go into, say, a, a, a Muslim country where uh, it's against the law to uh, preach Christianity. They'll go in as an English teacher, and they'll work in the educational system, and they'll look for opportunities to have small groups in their home, and, and uh, some of them are in very dangerous, precarious situations. They're incognito. And uh, one of the best examples, this was a life-changing moment for me, by the way, um, and I've probably shared it before, but... I was a police officer with the city of Norfolk. I was working in the forensics division, and I was processing crime scenes during three of the city of Norfolk's most murderous years. Despite the homicide rates today, they were much higher in about 91, 2, and 3, thereabouts, and broke all the records, even doubled their records. It's when crack cocaine first hit the street, and I was working in forensics. Long story how I ended up there. But God was dealing with me, drawing me back into church, getting my heart straight. I drifted away, and I was starting to have a fear of death and knowing that I had not walked out my potential in Christ and a lot of condemnation, and now I was being faced with death every day. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time for, for me. Um, and I was, you know, it, it drove me closer to God. But nevertheless, I near the end of that, I was just so intent in going into full-time ministry and meaning pastoral ministry. I wanted to reach people before they ended up in a body bag. And, uh, and I was really, uh, I was just frustrated. My commute to back and forth to work was well over an hour in the, the most horrendous traffic. We changed shifts every two weeks. So my body was just and mine was just crazy, like working around the clock, often court time, added overtime. You know, the job that I did frequently found myself on the job 12 or 14 hours processing a crime scene. It was just insane, and, and it was what I didn't want to do. You know, I wanted to go into ministry full-time, but I felt trapped. Uh, I had, you know, three kids and car payments and house payments and debt. There was just no practical way to do this aside from a miracle, which did happen, by the way. But I was in church one Sunday, and uh, I mean, I listen, I dreaded going to work. Maybe that's you right now, so listen to this very carefully. Maybe you love your job, that's wonderful. Maybe you dread going to work because there's a dream inside of you that you feel like you are not working toward, you're not fulfilling, you see no way, it looks impossible, and so you just drag yourself to work every day and you deal with it. Well... <clears throat> Chip Gray was the principal of Gloucester High School. He was the new principal, and he came to our church on a Sunday morning. I'm sure I've shared this because it was a crucial moment in my life, and he got up to greet the people. He was brand new to the community, and he said, good morning. My name is Chip Gray. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as the principal of Gloucester High School. Man, that just struck a chord in my spirit. I began to, to say to myself, I am a missionary to the streets of Norfolk, Virginia, cleverly disguised as a police officer or a forensic detective. And I would go to work every day, that terrible commute. I would pray, Lord, give me an interaction today. You know, help me intercept Satan's plan in somebody's life. Show me. So I wouldn't go to work, um, you know, and preach with my Bible on the street corner, or I would 
carefully. I would, if I went into someone's house to process a burglary scene, I would look: is there a plaque on the wall? Is there a cross around the neck? Is there something that would give me reason to make a comment and see where that would go? And sure enough, the Holy Spirit led me to pray with many people on the job, lead a couple to Christ uh, through that before He released us into full time ministry. We saw that again. Um, when I went out and played with secular bands around town here in Richmond, I was still a pastor, and I went out and, and I, I was incognito. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, an evangelist, cleverly disguised as a guitar player that's just playing in some area bands. And I'll let the Holy Spirit unpack or show me or lead me when to show my true identity, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, our true identity, who we really are. And uh, that, that has led, that doing that way back in 2010 has led to uh, people that are still my friends and respect what we do that I met because of that. Not because I was reverend, but because I was a guitar player and a friend, and then they learned that I was uh, a minister, I was, I was in ministry. And uh, some of those still donate to our ministry today, 10 years later. That is just mind-blowing to me, because it was weird to me to conceal my identity, so to speak. Now, I, I didn't, you don't lie about those things. Um, you just go, hey, this, this is what Luther called, Martin Luther called our vocation a mask of God. He said, God hides himself in the workplace, the family, the church, and the seemingly secular society. And so our occupation or our vocation, the thing that we do, the work of our hands, that's, that's part of our identity on this earth, but that's, that's going to fade away. Who are we really, and why are we still here? Well, 1 Peter 2.9 has always spoken to me. There's many scriptures that we could go through about who we are, what the Bible says we are. Uh, but 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, there you go. That's who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. Let's break it down just a minute. That scripture says we are a chosen people. Ephesians 4 says, uh, verse 1 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. We didn't choose him. Now, I don't want to get into the Calvinist and Armenian uh, the debates about predestination, but I do tend to believe that when God chooses you, then there's no way, if he's tr truly chosen you, you may go out and act like a heathen, but it never goes away. He has chosen you. There's something in you. You recognize that you are missing the mark. You recognize that you are living in sin, and you, you turn back to him even when you backslide. Um, that's where you get that term, once saved, always saved, which is really... It's abused by people who who don't ascribe to Calvinism. Um, they 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 kind of make it like, oh, so you just can you say this prayer and then you can go live like you want to live and you're good. That's not exactly what they mean. They mean exactly what I just said. Is that once if you if you've truly been chosen by God for eternity with Him, then even though you go you, first off, you're not going to want to. It's going to make you miserable to live a life of sin. 
and it's going to draw, constantly keep drawing you back. So the Calvinist would say that someone who professes Christ but then turns around and rejects Christ, turns around and says, I deny that Jesus is the Son of God, they would say they were never chosen in the first place. They were never saved in the first place. My, my thinking is that anyone listening to this podcast, you are someone who loves the Lord and could never deny the faith. You are chosen we are chosen by God to believe, to have faith, to believe. The scripture says we are a royal priesthood. Revelation 5.10 says he has made us uh, our, to unto our God kings and priests. Now, now, we're not kings in the sense that we rule an empire on this earth, though the Bible says one day we will. Uh, but even now, we are kings over the dominion of darkness. We are kings over sin. We can look at people that have everything this life has to offer, but they are slaves to sin, and their lives crumble right before the public eye in the media. We see it every single day because they had no power. They were not kings over the vices and things that would take them out. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with vices, we don't struggle with sin, but ultimately we know that we have a hope that we have the power and the authority to defeat those things, that it will not reign in our mortal bodies. We are kings. We're a royal priesthood to God. Man, that's a high and holy calling if you understand the priesthood in the Old Testament. There was only a chosen few that could approach God. But now, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, now we can all enter the Holy of Holies. Because of Jesus, we are, we are a royal priesthood. We can boldly come before the throne of grace in time of need and receive mercy. The scripture says we're a holy nation. There's a parallel here with the Hebrews, the Jews of the Old Testament. God chose the Hebrews to be his chosen people so that he could, you know, uh, uh, bring forth the Messiah, bring forth Jesus. And, and even to this day, when we look at the Jews, why are the Jews so despised by so many people? Well, they're, they're proof that God chose a people and brought the Messiah. You know, if you study the heritage of the Jews and what the Bible says, Man, the fingerprints of God are all over the place. For instance, God said that uh, if they disobeyed, he would scatter them to all the nations. And, and you find Jews in every nation. Isn't that amazing? You can be Australian, but you're a Jew. You, you can be uh, German, but you're a Jew. You can be American, but you're a Jew. Um, it's proof. It's God's fingerprints. Well, now he has chosen all of us. That word nation, by the way, means people group. He has chosen all of us in Christ that profess Christ. We are a holy nation. That's who we are. We're God's special possession. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul is talking about, you know, we shouldn't, that, that all things are, ben, uh, all we can do anything, uh, we, can, we have freedom, but not all things are beneficial. And he's talking about sexual immorality. And he says that, don't you understand, you are bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. God has purchased us. He has ransomed us. But sometimes we live way below who God has called us to be. Uh, it was C.S. Lewis that said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is being uh, meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Too many of us play in the mud. We don't recognize our true identity. Man, this is a, 
a sermon we preach over and over to inmates to realize that you, even though you've you've sinned against God, you've you've maybe hurt another person, you've stolen, you've you've did these sinful acts. If God has called you, He chose you, and despite what this world says, you're a holy nation, brothers and sisters. We tell them in that room, you're a, you're a people chosen by God to declare the praises of God. Recognize your true identity. Recently, uh, oddly enough, I began watching uh, the Harry Potter movies. Now, don't get all religious on me. I was bored, and I spend more time trying to find a movie to watch than I do watching a movie sometimes. And I was just flipping through, trying to do something brainless, you know. And, and uh, you know, I understand that J.K. Rowling, is, it says she's a Christian. And though that the church really pounced on her for Harry Potter because I guess she used the term witchcraft and wizardry and all that. But the stories are very akin to Lord of the Rings uh, or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, I forget what the, the uh, term is, in, you know, the literature term is, allegory, I think. Um, there are many allegories there, and some of them uh, are scriptural. And she purposely concealed some of that. And so, I, anyway, I decided to, to watch the movies because if you don't want me to do something, uh, come at me with a religious perspective and, and get all, all haughty with your religion and tell me don't do this. I'm going to go out and do it just because of it. Uh, <laughs> I've just sat with the rebel in me, right? Um, so I, I watched the movie, the first one. And uh, it was it was a classic case in point of what I'm saying, you know. When we when we talk to the inmates this year, it's not just going to be about the need for them to be kind of incognito. In other words, live your life in such a way as to win the respect of outsiders. Paul wrote in Thessalonians, I think. Um, you know, don't run around with a Bible thumping people on the head. Just be a good friend. Just be a good servant, um, and then give God the op- when God gives you the opportunity, open your mouth, and and so that's part of the incognito message that we'll bring. The other is about the identity of who you really are, which is what this podcast series is about. Who you really are? Do you know who you really are? And I was trying to think, there's, you know, it's a common movie theme, I'm sure, where someone is living, you know, they're making mud pies, like C.S. Lewis said, and they don't realize that they're actually the heir to the throne kind of thing. And that is the story of Harry Potter. You know, his parents died heroes in the wizard world, and, uh, and he was dropped off at, I think it was uh, a relative's house, and he was like this despised stepchild he was made to live under the stairs and and uh and you know just treated like dirt and it wasn't until he was you know i don't know an adolescent that all of a sudden somebody shows up from the magic world and says don't you realize who you really are and they carry him away to hogwarts where you know he's actually born to be a savior and a hero against the bad people in the harry potter world he didn't realize that he didn't know that and so many of us live our lives not realizing who we really are. Don't you know who you really are? Don't you know that you carry around a treasure, the treasure of eternity with God, the gospel in you? And so our aspirations, the things that drive our visions and and goals should be, how can I most effectively work that out and share that with other people? You know, look yourself in the mirror, and and no matter what circumstances are saying, say to yourself, I am chosen by God. I am part of a royal nation. God has given me, you know, so much power and authority over the things that destroy other people. He's called me to be a king over the demonic world. 
and, and, and the temptations and the vices common to men. He's given me the tools. He's given me access to his throne for mercy when I need it. Uh, preaching to myself here, by the way. So we need to recognize who we really are, our true identity in Christ, and then act that way. Listen, there's no greater sense of accomplishment to me anyway, than knowing that the way I live my life has helped someone else to seek God or turn to God. This can take decades, by the way, of people observing your life, of having a relationship with people, and then after decades, they reach out to you or you find out they've turned to God and you, you're not fully responsible. I mean, God did it, but you planted the seeds. You were part of that. Most recently, uh, I ran across a young man that may join us in prison this year. You know, I was um, working at Gloucester High School as uh, the high school resource officer. That was kind of the last stop before I entered full-time ministry. And I went into that job. Well, my first goal was to keep the school safe, build a bridge between law enforcement and, and the community, the young people. That was the you know the, what I was hired to do. But I was on mission. I would walk those halls praying, God, if there's a way that you want to use me in this, you know, in this a spiritual sense here, show me. I would pray against the spirit of violence, which coincidentally, the um, fights in the school dropped by 50% while I was there. I'd walk those high schools and I would just rebuke the spirit of darkness and violence that was causing those fights. I don't take full credit for that, but it was part of what I prayed for and it happened. Um, nevertheless, I would look for young people because I'm a guitar player. I would look for young people. I think a kid brought his guitar to school one day, and I was like, oh, there's somebody I can talk to. And I walked over, and of course, my first job, I'm a, I'm a deputy. But I'm sitting there playing with him, and, and I don't know, at some point, I invited him out to the youth group that I was part of. He came out to the youth group, and he didn't necessarily fit in. You know, back in those days, he was, you know, he was long hair and probably smoked weed and all that. But he, he showed up because it was a, you know, relevant kind of ministry that, that uh, reached out to his age group. It was, you know, we had loud music and all that kind of thing. And he came for quite a while. And then I lost track of him through the years. Now, I when I was, a, I was still a cop at that time. Obviously, I was working in the high school. Um, but I'd bring these kids that were way outside the lines to church all the time. I'd look for these kids. When I mean, when I say by that is these were uh, they're just heathen little kids, right? Or teenagers. I'd, I'd, I'd try to bring them in. And my youth pastor, who came from a different world, uh, kind of a middle-class world, you know, he would just, he'd shake his head like, man, you bring these wildcats in here, you know, but that's what I would do. And uh, so now here we are. That was probably around 1993 or four. It was 94, 94. So that, that's what, that's probably close to 30 years ago. And so maybe a couple of years ago, I find this kid on Facebook. I, I don't know how I found him, but he pops up. You're not a kid anymore. He's probably, I don't know, 40 or something. But he pops up on Facebook, and we become friends on Facebook. And and he's he's trying to become an actor. He's been in acting for a good part of his life. He seems to be doing okay. Um, and I'm just kind of watching his posts that pop up now and then. And then after a couple of years, he pops up this Christian testimony where he's just talking into his phone, I guess, and talking about how he'd come back to the Lord, and, and he plays a worship song that he wrote. And I'm like, that's the first indication after decades that this young man had a relationship with Jesus. And I only paid, played, I planted one small seed, you know, but I, got, I can say I played a part in that. So I reached out to him recently and said, man, you know, this is what we do. Why don't you come in and do some music in prison? And he's interested. 
So maybe that would happen. Matter of fact, he says he's he's going to be leaving acting and giving his life full time to, to ministry in some way. Craziness. I'm not boasting here. I'm just saying that we do what we can where we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. We wear that God mask, whatever it is, knowing that our true identity isn't, uh, for me back then, being a police officer. Our true identity isn't uh, being a carpenter or, or you know, uh, our, that's our God mask, as Luther called it, uh, that we go out there. But there's an underlying aspiration, and that is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Now, I'm going to give you something to ponder, and I'm not going to take a strong position one way or the other on some of these things because they're matters of conviction. And here's the thing about that, is that I shouldn't use my freedom uh, to mock your convictions, and you shouldn't use your convictions to infringe upon my freedom that God gives me. Um, We're all different, and we operate at different levels. And so I want to ask you a question, Um, maybe get a little political, if if you were a Christian carpenter, a carpenter that is a Christian, and your company contracted with a strip club to build a strip club, what do you do? You know, do, do you say, uh, I'm a Christian and therefore I don't build strip clubs? I'm not going to condemn you for that. But if you feel like, well, you know what, maybe I'll end up interacting with some people that are in that world and I'll have a positive impact, and you know your aspiration. That's the importance of knowing that your ultimate aspiration is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And if the the first way to start doing that is to do great work, great craftsmanship, then you do that. You know, we have functioned in Matt's world, my son who um, has done well in the, the music world. And, you know, I've played on some of his recordings and I've, I've uh, interacted with a lot of his team, played a couple of big shows with him and and uh, we interact with his folks from Atlantic Records, his manager, and all those folks. And, uh, you know, we, we come in there to do what they ask us to do, or I do, to, to play, play the parts or whatever it is. Now, if I know that my aspiration ultimately is maybe I could plant a seed, maybe just them watching Susan and I and our family uh, is, is going to shed a little light about the one that called us out of darkness. I don't know. But I took a lot of flack, um, not for uh, play with Matt, but when I got out there and I I was playing in bars with guys around town. Now, there was a time I could have never done that. I would have stumbled. I would have fell. Uh, I would have just joined right in and been an idiot. But I knew that my ultimate aspiration was to maybe maybe I, I can interact with, I learned to interact with people outside of the church world or the church box. And so even a deeper question, and I've seen fruit of that, by the way, because I knew my aspiration. And that's why it's very important um, that you dig down deep and go, you know what, no matter what I'm doing, my vocation, the things that I do with my hands, that's just the God mask. That's just the mask of God. My real identity is in Christ, and my real aspiration is to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness in whatever way that I can. Um So then let's get real political here for a second. Um, Because, man, you know, the world, meaning those that don't follow Jesus, this world system, um, those that don't look to Jesus as the Lord of their life, uh, it's not, not, I've heard someone say the world isn't people, the world is a system. And so sometimes we can get jaded against people not realizing that God loves them as much as he loves you and wants to call them out of darkness too. And so 
Uh, I think there's a time when we first come to Jesus, maybe, that we live life in the incubator. I did for years. In other words, our closest friends are all Christians, and we don't know how to interact out the outside world very well anymore, you know. Um, but when we look at a situation, like let's say this, the, the gay wedding cake scenario is a huge one. Uh, a homosexual couple comes to a bakery and says, hey, would you bake us a cake for our wedding? Well, you as a Christian, you say, I don't believe that's biblical. I'm not going to support that in any way. No, we're not going to bake you a cake. We've seen these cases in the news, right? So um, I wonder sometimes, now I'm not taking a position either way on this, uh, but I, I say, well, I wonder if that company, that bakery, examines everybody's moral life that comes in to have work done. No, we're not going to bake a cake um, for your wedding because you you have this sin in your life, whatever it may be. Maybe you've been living with your girlfriend for decades and you don't serve Jesus and you you know live a sinful life and so therefore I'm not going to support your sinful life by celebrating your wedding. I don't know. I don't know. It's I think it comes back to well if it, if a, a a bakery does bake a cake for a homosexual wedding and the aspiration is to maybe I can build a relationship with these people and share Jesus in some way um, with them. If I, I don't know the aspiration of people, ultimately. Only you know what the deeper aspiration is. And so when you talk about pursuing your dreams and your goals and um, dig a little deeper and say, here's the reason, here's the ultimate reason, is I want to in some way plant the seeds of hope, plant the seeds of the gospel. I don't mean to get off on some political, you know, deal here with with what I just said, but I do want to say we've got to back up and we can judge people's actions if people are are calling themselves believers and they're going out here and preaching heresy or doing intentionally sinful things and saying it's okay. We we're permitted to to to, to judge in that case. But too often we judge from a distance. We don't know all the facts. We don't know people's hearts. And I just say, man, let's not get on the bandwagon so fast. Let's do that very prayerfully. And uh, yeah, so examine your aspirations. Realize who you really are in Christ and act that way. Live in such a way that you win the respect of outsiders. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then maybe you'll find great joy in knowing that your life impacted somebody else's life for eternity. All right, you guys, have a great week. Keep Susan in your prayers, and we'll be back at you soon. Sometimes fallen angels fly I want to remind you that we're a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.